city's been so quiet since the boys in green went back. But it only took them three months to put Porton on the map. Yes, the stadium's never heard the sound of cheers in all its cheers. When the players come on the field, the thousands singing in their ears. Green is the colour, soccer is the game. We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim. So let's give all of the boys a cheer for the Portland Timbers will be here. If you followed the long-form essays in this project, you'll remember from Valavratu, I've wanted to find two people from Portland Timbers history. One guy is named Stan Olson, who was Mr. Kickett, the first Timbers mascot. The other is, or I can now say was, the last person in goal for the NASL Timbers and the first Croatian player for Portland. And he is here. I'm happy to welcome Dragan Radovic. Dragan, Dobrodošli. Welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm very uh, excited. Um, I never, I've done a few of these, and I don't lose my um, excitement because I, it, you know, I'm just happy to hear the voices of the people who made soccer in Portland and uh, the U.S. during that specific time. So I'm pretty pumped about this. Yeah, we were uh, we were trailblazers, that's for sure. But uh, it's been a long time. It's, it's almost yeah. it's, uh, a little bit over 40 years, almost 45 years to be exact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to try a formal introduction um, and run through some of the, the things I have that I know you've done. Um, it's quite a list, but if you don't mind, I'll just start with um, the, you were born in uh, Zhebenna, Croatia, and you came to the U.S. at the age of 11. Uh, Dragan yeah. lived in New York and became a U.S. citizen. Growing up in New York, he played for Jamaica High School where he was named the Public School Athletic League Iron Horse Pegasus Award winner in 1975, which means when the Portland Timbers came into this world as a new team, their would-be last NASL keeper was making his name in New York as a high school athlete. Radovich then attended St. Francis College, where he was a three-time All-American for the Terriers. In 1987, he was inducted into the St. Francis Hall of Fame. After college, Radovich was drafted 16th overall in the 1979 NASL draft by the Washington Diplomats. He played two seasons for the Diplomats before signing with the 1981 Portland Timbers. On May 2nd of that year, Radovich entered his first Timbers match, after which Vic Crow said simply, I am confident in Dragon. Radovich played 22 matches over 22 seasons with the Portland Timbers, and he was in goal for the last Timbers, I'm sorry, for the Timbers' last wins, uh, the final of those coming in a 4-0 shutout of the Edmonton Drillers. As well, Radovich was in goal for the last Timbers NASL match where his shutout streak of, and this is pretty amazing, 364 minutes was broken by an 80th-minute Seattle Sounders goal. Radovich's Timbers streak of 364 wasn't bested until 2012 in Major League Soccer when Troy Perkins registered 376 minutes between April and May of that year. After the Timbers folded, Radovich played for the NASL quarterfinal of Chicago Sting. Uh, with a career like that, I know for a fact I'm missing plenty of stuff, but uh, hopefully you'll fill us in as we go through the questions. Please welcome um, Dragan Radovich. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah. And how uh, – I'm sure I've missed plenty of stuff in that, right? Well, uh, with the Chicago Sting, uh had a very short career. They, uh, uh, after Portland folded, uh, I was I – was, uh, taken by uh, Toronto Blizzard. Mm -hmm. And uh, Toronto, uh, unfortunately, uh, what happened was we had a game against, uh, I think we had a preseason game against Juventus. And I was excited about that. Uh, I came to the locker room and I was approached by our coach and uh, he said, I have some good news for you and I have some bad news for you. I said, well, <laughs> Give me the good news first. He says, you'll be playing tomorrow night. I said, well, we don't have a game tomorrow night. Tonight's the game. He says, well, you'll be playing in Chicago. <laughs> we traded you in Chicago. So I said, okay, very well. And I had just uh, finished uh, setting up my apartment with my wife. Uh, and uh, I had to tell her the bad news that, that night. So uh, after that, she decided to go back to New York and go back to school. And I went to Chicago by myself. <laughs> uh, 
So that was a funny story. And, and that's, that's when my so, career started with Chicago. I, uh, I uh, came in. Uh, Victor Nagara was a uh, goalkeeper. He was a very good goalkeeper. And uh, I wind up uh, taking over. I think uh, he, he wasn't playing well. Or, I don't remember the situation. He wasn't playing well. Or he got uh, hurt at one point. And I was put in. And uh, I wind up playing uh, quite a number of games in Chicago. But did not make the playoffs. That I don't think we made the playoffs that year. Right, nineteen eighty-three. Yeah. Um, I want to say, um, I think, yeah, I don't exactly remember that year. I thought it is that the year they went to um, the quarterfinals. I think. Uh, I I was not with them that year. I don't think we made the uh, the playoffs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and I so remember what was getting, it? yeah, uh, maybe it was uh, 82 that I'm thinking okay. about. Yeah. So was it, uh, I'm curious because you mentioned Toronto, and this is a bit off script, the questions I was going to ask you, but, um, you know, there was in the mid-70s, it was Toronto Metro's Croatia, and there was a large Croatian community in Toronto. Was that part of something you might have been excited about uh, as well being there? Uh, yeah, definitely I was, uh, especially uh, my cousin uh, was living up there. So I wound up uh, living with him uh, for, that f- for a few weeks that we were up there. Uh, and then I got traded. So I, I never really settled down in, in uh, Toronto. I, I, like I said, I was living with him. Then I got my own place. Uh, and just about as we were just about moving in, uh, I was uh, traded. So... <laughs> That was a funny, funny situation. Not too funny because my wife uh, uh, got tired of moving around so much because we folded in uh, my first team in Washington after two years. And then we folded again in Portland after two years. And now after spending a few weeks in Toronto, uh, they wind up trading me. So she had had enough. (laughs) She went back to New York and thank God she became a nurse. Uh, she went to school yeah. and became a nurse. Well, that's great. Is she, I'm guessing, not doing it anymore, or is she still? Uh, we are both retired right now. She retired last year. Oh, good for you and good for her. It was, I think, it was a good, good oh, go career. Yeah. yeah, I think that's something that also uh, people don't talk about much when they think about soccer now. And I mean, Major League Soccer is fantastic. It's going to be here. Uh, we'll be able to pass that down to generations. But not long ago, I mean, 40 years isn't, a terribly long time ago, it was common for players to um, join a team and the team's gone the next year. And then they're moving again and then they're moving again. Many, uh, you know, from directly from other countries, but um, it was a family commitment to the league and it was a tenuous one because, you know, you could get traded, but also the, the team could fold and you're moving across country and that does affect the whole family, not just the player. Yes, it definitely affected me and uh, my family at the time. Uh, it took uh, quite a number of years for soccer to become what it had become. You know, they kept saying in the uh, early 80s, oh, you know, five, ten more years, it's going to be uh, right up there with baseball and, and basketball. But uh, it took a long time. It took a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's around the corner where, where we're going to be uh, drawing the same kind of crowds as the football and, and the baseball is. Uh Unfortunately, we don't have the stadiums. Uh, we have the smaller stadiums, but I think we can handle uh, the crowd, especially now in Miami, what's happening in Miami. Uh, right. I think and, uh, they should be playing in larger stadiums where they can handle, you know, 60,000, 70,000 people. Absolutely. And they just, I think, got their last approval to start building a soccer, soccer-only stadium there. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I, yeah. recently I heard that Luka Modric, has been seen with uh, Mr. Beckham. Over in Croatia, right? Over in Croatia. So there's something in the works there. So we'll see. I'll tell you, I'm doing everything in my power to get Luka Modric on the Portland Timbers discovery list, but I don't think it'll happen. (laughs) Keep trying. Keep trying. I will. I will. Um, So, yeah, so talking about moving, you came to the U.S. at the age of 11 from Croatia. What was – I mean, that's a a very – you know, that's a year, 11. You 
got some roots and you've developed some things and then to move to a different country. Uh, I'm curious, a couple of things. What was that move like? And uh, what was soccer like for uh, you as a 10, 11-year-old in Croatia and then in New York? Well, the move, uh, from what I remember, was a very nice trip. It was a trip from, uh, we had to go to Belgrade, I believe, at the time it was uh, Yugoslavia. Uh, to get uh, straighten out our passports and get some uh, some shots uh, to go. Uh, then we took the train from Bel- Belgrade to La Havre, France, and in La Havre we boarded a, a, a ocean liner, United States Ocean USS, uh, what it was called, United States Enterprise or something like that. It was mm-hmm. a very nice uh, ocean liner. It had you know. Uh, Churches, synagogues on it, uh, movie theaters. It was, uh, from what I, what I remember, it was a very nice trip. Uh, what wasn't very nice is when we landed. We had we won. Uh, we had an apartment on West 49th Street in uh, Manhattan, uh, uh, between 10th and 11th Avenues. And I remember the first uh, first night, somebody threw a garbage can through our window. So that wasn't very nice. Welcome to the neighborhood, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, they, you know, my sneakers were stolen from the clothesline one one day. I remember. So it eventually got better. I made friends, and uh, uh, we wound up uh, moving to Queens uh, a few years later. And uh, that's when I started playing. Uh, actually, I started playing baseball. Uh, my first sport in the U.S. was baseball. Of course, had I already played soccer, not on an organized level in Croatia, but just in the schoolyard, knocking the ball around. And I, uh, you know, I just happened to pick up on, on sports very easily. It was something that uh, I was gifted. Uh, and uh, that's what happened. I played baseball. Uh, in fact, I was going to play baseball for Jamaica High School, but then at the last moment, I switched to soccer. They needed a goalkeeper, and I switched to soccer. And uh, from then, the rest the rest is history. I mean, I was a shortstop in baseball, so that kind of, you know, lateral movement and catching the ball, uh, the, the uh, hand-eye coordination, uh, it all played into me being a decent goalkeeper at the time. And like you said, I was voted uh, Iron Horse Award, the best uh, soccer player in the city. Uh, which you know is, is quite an honor, and then I got picked up by St. Francis College. Uh, gave me a free scholarship, full scholarship, uh, and the rest is history. I made an All-American three times, uh, first team All-American, and then got drafted by the Washington Diplomats in the first round, like you said. Yeah, and so um, I want to talk about that, but I got a quick question: Is that? The Iron Horse Award, is that a reference to Lou Gehrig since it was in New York, or is that uh, completely unrelated? I'm not I'm not really sure. I, I don't, I don't yeah. think he had anything to do with Lou Gehrig uh, at all, uh, but I'm not sure. So you were, um, like you said, you were drafted in 1975. Do you remember what that process was like? Uh, I think I got drafted in 1979. I'm sorry, 79. Sorry, 79. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I forget where we were. I, I, I think, uh, you know, trying to look back, I really don't have a recollection whether I was at the actual event or uh, somewhere nearby, uh, but I remember it was exciting. I mean, uh, to be picked, I remember the first player I got picked was uh, Niego Pesha, which is another a Croatian kid, uh, uh, he got the first round, p- first uh, pick, and I happened to be uh, the 16th pick, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a couple of other goalkeepers taken before me, uh, which was a little bit of a surprise because I was, you know, uh, all American three years, and I, I would have thought they would have picked me ahead, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't know what, but I was happy. I was happy it was Washington. It was close, uh, close to my, uh, my house, uh, in New York. It was a short drive where, you know, family and friends can visit. 
and come to games. So that was exciting. It was an exciting day, and uh, it's really once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. And so when you when you went to Washington, you were there. We talked about this a little bit before, but um, you were there with uh, who'd be your eventual Timbers teammate as well, Bill Irwin. Yes, yes. So I'm curious what it was. Um, you know, we talked about that a second ago, but I'm just kind of curious about, uh, you know, that that uh, when we talked about it before we started recording for the interview. Um, you know, what it was like you your relationship coming in with Bill and how it sort of worked that uh, you were both in Washington and then how it worked in, in Portland. Yeah, no, we had a good relationship. We roomed together. He was uh, kind of uh, he he wasn't uh your party uh, animal like I was <laughs> so yeah he would uh, stay back and kind of uh, read and sleep and I would go out and uh, enjoy enjoy the nightlife which uh it kind of uh is not fruitful if you're playing professionally and uh uh you know it it catches up to you eventually and uh, I could I a couple of games I know it caught up with me where I could go back and say, "Oh, Dre, you you should have you shouldn't have went out last night." <laughs> that was a that was a bad situation, a bad move. But uh, Bill was a yeah. Bill was a, a good guy. He uh, he was uh, from Ireland, and he helped me. Uh, you know, we trained together, we we roomed together on road trips, and uh, very nice guy. He wound up, I think, he wound up staying in uh, Portland as a coach, uh, as uh, he had some. Uh, a uh, what do you call uh, clinics going on? So I think he might still be there. I I lost yes. touch with him. Yeah, yeah, I yes, lost touch with um, him. But uh, we 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 had a great time together. Yeah, he's um, he's done a lot here in Portland coaching since then. He's yes, you know when he stopped playing, he joined on with uh, Clive Charles and uh, a bunch of other guys. And I mean this area was built by the NSL players and their families. Um, and yes, he's still yes, coaching at a, um, yeah, and he's still coaching at a high school. I'm sorry, he's still coaching at a college here. He's working at a Lewis and Clark College, the Division Three uh, school. Oh, fantastic! Fantastic! Yeah, yeah, it's great to see him out there. Yep. So, I'm curious what training was like because now even you go out to youth training and the goalkeepers are pulled aside and doing specific, excuse me, position specific stuff. But in the um, you know 70s, early 80s, what was goalkeeper training like for for someone well we uh we ran uh we did all the drills that the players did and uh you know usually i remember you having to have to run for two miles when you first started practice we ran for two miles and uh you know did some more running sprints uh and then we would uh, break off into our uh, you know goalkeeping practice uh, corner kicks, uh, free kicks, stuff like that, specific, uh, you know, uh, drills, uh, saving the ball, running from one goal post to another, uh, just to get the lateral movement down. Um, and, you know, practice that uh, I think every day, you know, every day is done by the same in the same kind of way, I mean, everybody takes a little bit from here and there and tries to incorporate it. But it was it was a strenuous. Uh, it wasn't easy, you know. It wasn't easy. It was a lot of uh, jumping, and especially on AstroTurf in Portland, uh, well, you take a lot of abuse. Uh, grass in, in in Washington was a little bit easier, but Portland was uh, the surface was uh, was tough. Uh, and uh, but being young and in shape, uh, you didn't notice it as much. You know, we t- we took the knocks, but we we kept kept on going. Yeah. And so, uh, speaking of, of yeah, Portland and, and the dips, um, I, I talked to Bill and John, and you probably read this in the the article I yes. sent you about. Um, they, but they both were obviously very complimentary. But something they said about you was that you were very calm, uh, solid, but also uh, John said something that is interesting to me thinking about a goalkeeper from the seventies and eighties is that you were good with your feet. 
Uh, was that typical of a, of a goalkeeper? Would you agree with that assessment? And I guess also, uh, if that's the case, where do you think that, where'd you develop that skill? Well, I, I, like I said, I, I played soccer most of my life, you know, but not on an organized level until I got into high school. Um, I, I played, uh, you know, in, in, in the schoolyard and, you know, all, all over the, uh, <laughs> all over the place, but not uh, organized. So I was kind of gifted. Like I said, I, uh, you know, had good hands, I had good feet and, uh, uh, I guess it showed when I came into the pros. Uh, people were impressed with my. Uh, maybe I should have uh, tried out for midfield or something. <laughs> <laughs> you missed out, right? Yeah, I missed out. Maybe I should have tried out for midfield, or uh, I don't know if I was fast enough to be forward, but midfield I could have maybe handled. <laughs> Too late now, right? Right. <laughs> well, you anytime you're here, you're welcome to play on my over forty team. We'll put you right <laughs> up front. Over. I'll be over seventy soon. I'll be at, I'll be at a disadvantage. Do they have over seventy? <laughs> you know, I think I think they have over sixty-five. Um, oh, great! The highest yeah. they have, and they might even play. Um, I don't know if just for some seasons they play small-sided, like seven aside, uh, which is yeah. I think great for anything over forty or definitely over fifty. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm still in good shape. I, I'm surprised. Uh, I have no problems with my knees, my elbows, my shoulders, my uh, hips, no problems at all. I feel like I'm in my 40s, really serious. Fantastic, especially yeah. after playing in the um, on some of the fields you played on in the NASL. You mentioned the Portland turf, um, and yes. that wasn't the only place. Uh, even when you were playing on grass. Yes, yes. Even yes, some, the places best, right? in, some places in New York City and Brooklyn and Queens where I played uh, before my pro career, I uh, played with, uh, you know, uh, Blauweiss Gache. We made it. Uh, we won the national championship. Uh, we played in some horrific fields. We have actually had uh, boulders sticking out of the ground. So uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I, you know, I have chips in my elbows, but that's about the extent of my injuries. You got out pretty good. I got out pretty good, yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you end up in Portland? Uh, and then, you know, in 1981, you come to the Timbers. How did that happen? And what was it like when you first arrived here? Uh, well, uh, we were, uh, I played for Washington two years. And uh, we we happened to be on a, uh, on a tour to the Far East. At the time, we had uh, Johan Cruyff, Vin Janssen yeah. on the team. Oh. And we took a tour to Japan and Indonesia and Hong Kong. Uh, we were very successful there. I think we only uh, lost the first game, and then we subsequently won all of the other ones, beating the Japanese national team one nothing. Um, on the way back from the trip, uh, we learned that the team had folded. And that was a very sad situation because, you know, what comes next? And uh, I happened to wait a long time before being picked up by Portland. Um, I don't know how long it was, but uh, in, in my in my mind, it was like a, an eternity because you don't know, you don't have a job and you don't have a team and what do you do next? And fortunately, Portland picked me up, and I drove cross country. I remember I had my Camaro, and uh, it took me uh, five days, and I made it to Portland. Uh, I found an apartment, and subsequently, my wife came, uh, uh, flew in, and she hated the apartment that I picked out. <laughs> And we had to get a we had to get a townhouse. We got a townhouse. We got situated. And I remember, you know, spending time uh, running through the hills of Portland uh, in spring training, uh, which was fun. Portland was nice. It was a little rainy for me, but uh, it was nice. It was a, just a bunch of nice guys from uh, mostly from England. I can remember England, and uh, 
a bunch of nice guys, you know. We went out uh, socializing together. The families got together. We had picnics. Uh, it was just a very good time. So I, I felt welcome. Yeah, a, a couple of small things are, are hitting me there. Just the idea of you were playing for a team in another country, another continent, when that team folded. And you didn't even know until you got back. Exactly, exactly. I think we, we, we were on the airplane. Uh, we were like in the air when we learned about the situation. It was uh, it was very tough, very tough. And the subsequent month or two months, whatever it was, was even tougher. And then you drove a Camaro from D.C. to Portland? Yes. That's <laughs> yes. a long trip. Uh, By myself, yeah. In, in By myself. Yes, it is, but, uh, you know, I, at least I had a team to go to. I had a job, and uh, I was looking fo- forward to it, and I didn't mind driving at all. It was a nice, uh, it was a scenic uh, scenic rap. Yeah. Well, I was yep. playing in Portland, and um, and then afterward living in Portland, and then got picked up by a team in Salt Lake City, which was like a 12-hour drive. I made that drive by myself, and I thought that was, I thought <laughs> I was roughing it. So I, I'm never going to complain about that. No, no, no. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, I drive I mean, down you... to Florida now, so I don't really mind driving. I drive to Florida. It takes me, you know, 18 hours, and uh, I don't mind it at all. I, I go right through, stop three times, and I'm there. You're not driving the same Camaro, are you? No, no. The Camaro didn't last too long after that trip. After got it here. Yeah. So I want to I want to ask about some uh, North American, or not North American, sorry, some North American soccer league rules, some very specific ones that I still don't think people fully have in context. So one is this: uh, in the NASL, there was a minimum North American rule, and other leagues have done this as they build their domestic leagues. Uh, the other rule is the 35-yard shootout that existed in the North American Soccer League, and then eventually in Major League Soccer. So my first question is this. Um, how did the the minimum North Americans in the game uh, did it ever affect you specifically as far as playing time and substitution? Um, and I'm also kind of curious if that affected goalkeepers more than field players, or if it just wasn't too much of an issue. Uh, I don't think it was too much of an issue, but I think in a couple of situations, uh, you know, uh, I think. The American players are sort of look, uh, looked at uh, not as good as the European players at that time. Mm-hmm. So a uh, goalkeeper would have stood a better chance of getting a uh, better chance of getting more playing time than a than a field player. So when the coaches, I, I think, I think it happened too often. But uh, if they had to do a substitute, they would substitute the goalkeeper. You know, that, that's just my opinion. Uh, it did, you know, like I said, I really wasn't that aware of it until later, maybe later that day or later that week, uh, whatever the substitution was. But uh, I wasn't in, you know, it was the coaches' decisions and whatever decisions they made, they made. Like, uh, you know, a couple of substitutions that were made uh, when I got to go in during a game. One was a, one was a game. Uh, in Washington, where I was put in uh, after we were down, I think against Rochester, I believe we were down four to uh, three to one, and I was put in second half. Uh, and uh, as soon as I got in, they scored a goal on me, which was a, sh- a shock to me. Uh, but it was four one now, and uh, we wound up coming back and winning that game five four. That was I remember like yesterday. Uh, it was <laughs> it was unbelievable. And then the other game uh, I think was in 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 Tulsa when you know when we we were I think we were losing and I don't know if Keith the other the Keith was playing well at the time or he got hurt I I don't remember. Uh, but uh, those are the only two times I, I you know 
for whatever reason I was put into the game, I don't know if it was for the North American soccer rule or because of an injury. I can't go back and, and say it's been 40 years ago. So uh, right. it might have been. It might have been that rule. But uh, I, I think it was a decent rule. I mean, uh, if I think if coaches who were mostly foreign at that time had their choice, they would have had an all-foreign lineup. They didn't really – I don't think they – trusted the American player as much uh, because, you know, you can't blame them. We were not uh, developed as, as they were. So uh, you can't really blame them that much. Right. And so the sort of follow-up question, which is seemingly unrelated, but another rule that I absolutely love, um, I don't think it's a good idea now, but the 35-yard shootout. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, and I, I did read a, a, you know, as I was doing some research, I found out that your reputation in these was quite good. I think people had a lot of confidence in you if you were in goal for these. So I'm curious, what was your strategy um, for the for the 35 yard shootouts? Uh, my strategy was uh, to uh, to wait for the uh, shootout taker to make a mistake. Uh, either uh, and most of the time it was them pushing, kicking the first ball. First touch was kicking the ball too far ahead of themselves. Mm -hmm. Where it gave me a chance to run out and kind of get to the ball at the same time as they did and kind of block, uh, get an angle on it so they couldn't put it past me. Uh, when that didn't work, uh, it was the second or third touches where you kind of just, you know, uh, get a feeling like uh, he doesn't have control or it's on his, you know, it's it, he kicked it too far ahead or kicked it too much to the left side or the right side. And just you have to pick your moment where you have to decide whether you're going to stay in, come out, or go or go backwards. You know, sometimes you have to go backwards. If he was coming in very slowly, then you say, oh, okay, you know, I'll let you come in and do whatever you have to do. But it was a, it was a decision that you had to make very quickly. And fortunately, I made some, most of the time I made good decisions, and sometimes I made, uh, you know, wrong decisions, you know. I remember losing the game in, in Los Angeles with the Washington Diplomats, and, I made a couple of bad decisions where I, you know, didn't come out at the right time. Or when I did come out, I was like flat-footed. And uh, we wound up losing that game. It was a playoff game against the Los Angeles Aztecs. So it was like uh, it's timing and a way for your opportunity where, where the other opposing player loses control or kicks the ball a little bit too far ahead of himself where he can't recover or it can make a good shot on you. Did you ever um did you ever play indoor soccer? Um and if so, did you face any of these from the red line or did you just not play indoor? I played one one season indoor with uh with Portland. Uh-huh. And uh I don't remember facing any of these. Uh, I don't know if the if they had the shootouts in the red line like that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was exciting. I, I enjoyed playing. I enjoyed playing indoor, but I didn't enjoy going to Edmonton and uh, <laughs> and walking out of the uh, bus uh, when it was minus twenty outside. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God we're playing indoor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you mentioned uh, subbing on. Um, for Portland, for McRae and um, in Tulsa, and I know that that's a long time ago, but I do want to ask you one question about that. Were you aware at the time that the other goalkeeper, the keeper for Tulsa, uh, Jleko Balecki, did you know him, or were you uh, aware of, of him? I did not know him. Uh, unfortunately, I just found out that he passed away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was really terrible, that four days after his mom. But... Um, I, uh, you know, I heard of him and, you know, we, we shook each other's hand or whatever before the game. And, 
but uh, we never kept, you know, we never kept in touch or anything like that. Okay. He was a very good goalkeeper. He had a long career, uh, longer than mine. Uh, and for one, you know, I don't have too much recollection of that game, like I said. That's fair. Yeah, he was the goalkeeper when the Toronto Metros Croatia won the um, soccer bowl. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He moved around read, a bit. So. I read about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so your last season in Portland, uh, and this is, you know, at this point, something you have experience with. But it was no secret that unless somebody came in and bought the team, 1982 was going to be it. Like that was it. And so, given a lot of the things we've talked about here, even in the area you played in you know, uncertainty was part of the situation. Um, and I even, you know, the players knew it. I found an article from the last game um, or before the last game where all the players were just saying, you know, it's unfortunate. We can't, you can't blame the fans. You can't blame the owners. It's just a, it's a situation. What was it like playing in a game like, or a season like that where you knew kind of going toward the end of that was the end, which is, I guess, different than finding out when you're on an airplane that your team doesn't exist. Yeah, it was, it was an unnerving uh, like I said, you know, not having a team or not having a job uh, to go to. And I had a young family. My daughter was born in Port in Portland. And uh, it was unnerving. Uh, back to Portland, after we folded, uh, I think uh, Toronto picked me up pretty quickly. And then, uh, and then uh, from Toronto, I didn't get to play any games. It was just preseason. Uh, I was traded to Chicago. And then I had to wait my turn in Chicago to play uh, again when Victor wasn't, uh, Victor Noguera wasn't playing well that I got put in and happened to uh, play very well there. Uh, And then at the end of the season, uh, it was rough because uh, so many teams had folded, and with so many players uh, out looking for work, uh, I knew it was going to be hard to find uh, uh, find something. Uh, and then uh, I forget what happened. Basically, uh, I think that uh, Willie Roy, the coach of the Sting at that time. Uh, or it was maybe assistant coach uh, pulled me in and, and, and told me that they were not going to renew my contract at the end of this, you know, the season had been over and uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we made the playoffs, like I said before, but they didn't renew my contract. And then I knew, uh, then I knew it was going to be very difficult to find a team because there were so many, like I said, so many players out there looking for work. I, I wasn't ready to go. I knew they were going to lowball the salaries and stuff, so I decided to come back uh, to New York. I had a uh, my brother-in-law was working for Pepsi at the time, and he said I could get you in. And I said, okay, let's do it. And that's what happened. That was my career after Chicago. And you, so you, did you? Um... Did you stay with Pepsi for a while then? Oh, yeah. I stayed with Pepsi, and then I bought my own route. But in the meantime, uh, I played uh, with uh, Brooklyn uh, Italians and uh, Greek Americans, and we wound up winning a couple of uh, U.S. Open Cups, with uh, one, one each with each with uh, uh, in the 80s and 90s with, uh, with Brooklyn Italians. We won the U.S. Open Cup, which now... Uh, all the MISL teams are winning. <laughs> at right, that time, right. at that time, I don't know if the uh, North America teams were participating, but I don't think so at that time. Or the MLS teams, I don't know if they're participating when uh, we won the Open Cup. So I played up until the early '90s. Uh, you know, I was into my 40s. Uh, yeah. And the the middle nineties, I would say, yeah, almost forty. And then, uh, then I had to go to work. And I mean, I was I was balancing work. I mean, with with soccer, we were you know train a couple times a week, 
and then uh, I'd work five days a week. And then we'd play, play games on the weekend. Uh, that was my life for, you know, uh, I would say 12 years after I finished up with the pros in 1983. Uh, I, I, I did with the Greek-Americans and Brooklyn Italians. Okay. And we were quite successful. Yeah, I should have added uh, Open Cup winner to your bio when I started. To your intro, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, I think we wanted uh, both with Brooklyn and, and with the Greek Americans, and we lost it one, uh, once or twice. I remember uh, one of my least, well, most memorable games, but not as far as playing well, was against uh, in Minnesota playing against. Uh, in the in the cup final, and I gave up a really really bad goal. We lost two to one. Uh, forget the team's name or where they were from, but uh, I let the ball slip through my hands, which happens, uh, I guess, to every goalkeeper once in their life lifetime. I can tell you this: I can probably tell you all of the bad memories and mistakes I made and would have a hard time <laughs> recollecting the, the, the good ones. It seems to be those are the ones that stick. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so as a player, what what is your best soccer memory then? My best soccer memories uh, was, uh, was uh, with the uh, Washington Diplomats when uh, Johan Cruyff was on the team. And we played against the Cosmos uh, in the Meadowlands. And I'm still trying to get a tape of this game. Maybe you can help me out, but nobody has it. It was in August of, two, of uh, 1980, mm-hmm. uh, Washington Diplomats against the Cosmos in the Meadowlands, and we we were tied 1-1, uh, and we went to a shootout. And we beat them in a shootout in front of my friends, my family, and everybody else. It was, uh, well, that was the most memorable game for me. And the, and the first game of and the first game of course that I went into as a substitute and we were losing three to one that, that I remember and uh, that was this was the most memorable for me yes. So what do you miss as a player? Well, I miss the camaraderie uh, with the guys. Uh, I don't miss the traveling so much. You know, it was exciting in the beginning, but then it got to be you know. Like a, like a chore, you know, packing up, going to the airport, you know, you know, nobody enjoys that. Uh, but the camaraderie and the friendship, uh, you know, with the families and the wives and the kids and everything else. Uh, I don't so much miss the spring training. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of tough, especially in a goalkeeper where they, you know, they made you run as much as a field player. That's not fair. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I miss it. You know, it's it's a, it's a game that you you love from the beginning to the end. I don't think you ever, you know, you ever dislike it. You 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 love it. Everybody, I love the game of soccer, and I always love it. And I miss it. If I told you I didn't miss it, I'd be lying. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of a shift here. Um, if you, if a goalkeeper now, you know, comes up to you and, you know, wants some advice, what would you tell uh, someone at really any age who's playing in goal right now? Um, I would tell him to keep his head straight, listen to his coach, uh, and train as much as you can and uh, stay away from bad influences and stay away from uh, people that, you know, come on, let's go out. Let's have a couple of drinks. No, don't worry about it. Stay away from drinking. I never did any drugs, but I did drink. Uh, Stay away from drinking and, drugs and, and, and 
you're afforded this opportunity once in your life, you know, to play pro on a pro level or any, you know, any level, uh, make it the best, uh, the best that you can, you know, do the best you can train your ass off and, uh, enjoy it, you know? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So I've got a um, a game. I want to ask you about a game you didn't play in, and that's October seventeenth, nineteen ninety. Uh, Croatia, as an independent country, played its first match, and that was against the U.S. Uh, and I I don't know that the game was televised here at that time, but were you aware of that match? And does it hold any significance at all? Oh, uh, at that time I don't really uh, remember. I was too busy working. I was uh and I, I going back I don't really remember. I might have watched it. Uh maybe you can fill me in on the score and you know, uh I don't think Croatia was an independent nation. That's what I thought in nineteen ninety anyway. Maybe I right. thought it was ninety two or ninety three. But uh I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, so it was uh, um they were starting to break away from Yugoslavia and declare their independence. Uh, okay. They, so they brought in the U.S. team. The U.S. was overplaying, I think, Poland. And so somebody financed uh, for them to come over and play this, this game. Um, and uh, Croatia, a lot of Croatian players were still under Yugoslavia, like Schuker was up playing with the Yugoslavian right. team at the time. Uh, but they, they beat the United States 2-1. Um, funny story with that is the guy who scored the goal for the United States, Troy Dyak, played for the um, mostly the earthquakes here um, oh. is Croatian has Croatian descent and is um, I want to say his his aunt or his, I don't know if it's his mother's sister or his grandmother's sister recognized his name in the paper and came to the hotel and said you know are you related to so-and-so and it was like a family member which is kind of a cool side story to that but oh wow yeah yeah that's crazy <laughs> yeah and that was the the first you know the first game where Croatia you know they did the checkerboard jersey Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's a famous. Uh, but, uh, they got away from that a little bit now. I don't like the blue uniforms as much. I think every time they play with the blue uniforms, they lose. Right. Yeah. I want to. I, yeah. I want to see the the red and white. Me too. Yeah. Me too. So are you in, are you involved in the game right now? Still. In any way? I am uh, as a fan. Or? I am not. As a fan, I, I watch uh, mostly uh, mostly uh, when Croatia plays. Uh, I'm not involved on any any levels at all with soccer uh, right at the moment. I got away from that once. You know, I started working. I was working long hours, and uh, basically, you know, I had my own routes. I had a Pepsi route, and then I had a vitamin water route uh, for 32 years. Uh, and there were long hours, so I kind of got away. Once I stopped playing uh, with the Brooklyn Italians, I kind of got away with. Uh, I, I didn't follow it as much uh, as one would think. But uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go and play with soccer with my uh, grandson, who's uh, just got picked to go to Real Madrid camp uh in november i believe so uh, yeah he, he got take to go to and he's in my garage we me and him but in our in my garage uh almost every day uh, shooting at each other <laughs> so, is he a goalkeeper uh, yeah he's a goalkeeper as well yeah that's great so uh luca luca Pedisic, his name is so uh maybe look forward to this to seeing him someday play with uh, Portland or uh, or Washington or New York, you know, that'd be fantastic. But I'm looking, oh, I'm looking forward to the trip. I offered. I, t- I told my daughter I'm paying for the trip. I'm, no, I'm paying for Luca. I should say, Luca's yeah. trip. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's going to be an exciting time. I can't wait to go. Well, that's great. I I love that this is a you know multi generational thing now. Oh yeah, yes, yes. 
and uh, Lily, my my granddaughter, is also. She's not a goalkeeper; she's a goal scorer. So she scored three goals the last game she played. She's kind of like on the Gerd Mueller uh, thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she pushes people away and scores the goals. (laughs) Yeah, he was a beast. Yes, he was. Very, very strong guy. Yeah. Yep. Is there anything we've missed? I don't think so. I think we covered uh, practically everything. Yep. Well, if you ever forget, or if anything comes up, let me know. I'd love to always chat with you. And I'll tell you, if you're ever in Portland, the Rocky is on me. We'll go to a Timbers game. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> I appreciate right. it. And if you ever come up with that film uh, from uh, August of 1980 in the Meadowlands, please send it to me. I'm looking for, I'm looking for somebody. I've <laughs> yeah. got a couple places, I, I, a couple of catalogs from other people have sent me that I can see if they have it. Um, and I'll definitely okay. if I find Fantastic, them. Billy. All right, I appreciate right. it. Voila. Yeah. All right. Voila, Vama. All right. All right. You ain't got to be 200 pounds or a giant at 7-3 To play this game called soccer, which is growing rapidly You can hear it on the radio, you'll see it on TV That when the Portland boys appear, you will hear them sing with glee Green is the colour, soccer is the game We're the Portland Timbers, and winning is our aim so let's 